Stanford University. And the Stanford Graduate School of Business. It's my pleasure then uh, to introduce today's speaker, Alan Mullally, the president and CEO of the Ford Motor Company. In the past century, few companies have had a more significant impact on the business world than Ford. Not only did its founder, Henry Ford, launch the US industry, but he really redefined manufacturing for the 20th century. Ford went on to become one of the most profitable companies in history. Today, it is number eight in the Fortune 500 and the fifth largest automaker in the world. It has more than $100 billion in annual revenue. In 2006, however, when Alan took the job as CEO after a 37-year career at Boeing, Ford was in dire shape. The company was losing billions each year with market share in decline. It had a 100-year history of contentious management and labor relations and a number of failed turnaround strategies in recent memory. Even before anybody realized how bad the recent economic downturn would become, the conventional wisdom was that American car manufacturers were in decline and nothing could change that. Under Allen's tenure, however, Ford has proven those skeptics wrong. By the time that GM and Chrysler received government bailouts in 2009, Ford had executed a remarkable transformation, moving from four years of losses into profitable territory. Just a couple weeks ago, Ford reported its most profitable quarter in 11 years. The change of fortune was not an accident, nor was it painless. When he took over, Ford had roughly 300,000 employees in 108 plants around the world. By the start of 2011, these numbers were down to 178,000 employees in 80 plants, a 40% reduction in personnel. Meanwhile, labor agreements were renegotiated to reduce liabilities for retiree costs, and Ford sold off several car brands, including Jaguar, Aston Martin, Volvo, and Range Rover. These were difficult decisions. As Alan, Alan sometimes joked, however, <coughs> Ford has been going out of business for 40 years. <laughs> Drastic steps were needed. Perhaps more important, however, these steps were part of a broad strategy which was called One Ford. The effort involved rationalizing products and manufacturing, significantly reducing the number of auto platforms to create more efficiency on a global scale. It also required more transparency inside Ford so that performance measures were tracked and shared across product lines and regions. At the company that revolutionized manufacturing for the industrial age, you could say that this was an effort to revolutionize it once again for the information age. This strategy was influenced by Alan's decades of experience at Boeing, where he led similar initiatives that were deemed so successful that when he left Boeing in 2006, Aviation Week named him Person of the Year. The results go well beyond profits. Since 2007, Ford has received more quality awards from J.D. Power than any automaker in the world. And in 2010, it overtook Toyota as the best-regarded auto brand in the U.S. This is a fitting legacy for a son of the Midwest who has said that Ford today is fighting for the soul of American manufacturing by making the best products in the world. 
Alan was recently named one of the most influential people in the world by Time magazine and one of the 30 most respected CEOs by Barron's. Automotive News named him Industry Leader of the Year. He serves on the President's Export Council. He's a member of the National Academy of Engineering and a fellow of England's Royal Academy of Engineering. The list of positions and honors could go on if we had more time. But I know you want to hear from our speaker, so let's give a GSB welcome to Alan Mullally. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So how are you? Good? I'll be outside after this to take your car orders. We got some great vehicles for you. Um, first of all, it's, it's really neat to be back uh, in the MBA program. And what I thought I'd do is, you're still studying case studies, right? You do a lot of that? And they describe the situation, they give you lots and lots of data, and then you're supposed to think or reflect on what you would do. So I thought a way to introduce our conversation today was, is let's do a case study on Ford, okay? And then you get to be me, okay? Because I'm looking for a few more good ideas, and I'm going to get it here today. Okay, so it's uh, 2006. It's uh, September. I'm uh, the, the chief executive officer at Boeing, commercial airplanes. Um, I'm looking forward to creating one more Boeing airplane uh, to replace maybe the 737. 80% of all of the seats that are flying worldwide are Boeing airplanes. Uh, feeling really good about Boeing, feeling really good about our contribution to safe and efficient transportation. And I get a phone call from Bill Ford. I'm going, Bill Ford of like the Ford Motor Company, the great grandson of Henry Ford. That's the one. Um, and he said, uh, we're in really tough shape and I would really like your help. And would you consider coming to Ford? So I started doing my due diligence. And uh, at the end of the day, I was being asked to serve a second American and global icon. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't turn that opportunity down. So I walk into the office in the world headquarters of the Ford Motor Company, the 12th floor. And I look out the window, and here's the Rouge plant. And here's where Henry Ford created the moving assembly line. This is where uh, Mr. Toyota of Toyota came to visit to learn how to make cars and how to continuously improve the quality and the productivity. And here was the entire plant. At the time, he was 100% vertically integrated, the most efficient operation in the world. And I'm um, reviewing the situation. And here's the situation. I check with our uh, finance people, and they give me the, uh, the great news that we are projected to lose $17 billion <laughs> in 2006. You can run out of money really fast. <laughs> That's $17 billion a year. I also review the situation about what Ford has become. And Ford has now become a house of brands. And remember, I left Boeing to come to Ford. And Ford was Aston Martin. It was Jaguar. It was Land Rover. It was Volvo. Uh, it was, had a, a significant relationship with Mazda. And so Ford was this house of brands. And it also happened to have Ford and uh, Mercury and Lincoln brands also. Also, uh, Henry Ford set up Ford all around the world so that he could participate in the economy, not only provide great cars and trucks, but also be part of the economic fabric of all the countries in which Ford operated. But Ford had become very regionalized, 
and none of the Fords talked to each other around the world. There was no synergy, and we were competing with the best global companies in the world, and we had no scale and no integration of all the intellectual capability around the world. Also, in the United States, uh, we had labor agreements with the unions and our cost structure where we really couldn't make cars in the United States and make them profitably. So we stopped doing that, and the ones that we did make were pretty marginal, and we focused on bigger SUVs and trucks. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to you know, live in a 150 and pull your house behind it simultaneously, you could get the best truck in the world from Ford. <laughs> but we didn't have a full family of vehicles uh, in the United States. Also, we had never we really hadn't made a commitment to be in best in class with the competition. So we were kind of competitive on quality and fuel efficiency and safety and really smart design. And, but we weren't really best in class. In addition, we were unprofitable in every one of those brands and in every model we were losing money. <laughs> Thinking back, I wonder why I did come. <laughs> um, and we were running out of cash really fast. So, that's the situation. I've got a card and I have a pencil. So please shout out what you would do. You thought this was gonna be a free lunch. <laughs> okay, now with that situation, this is Stanford, the MBA program. We got engineers, we got business, we got the smartest people in the world right here, right? Okay, what would you do? Okay, just shout it out. Okay, now I'm gonna take notes because I got a feeling that this is gonna work out really well. Okay. Fantastic. Probably over capacity. Good. Invest in R&D. Good. Standardize the platform. Standardize the platform. Wow. Good. Labor negotiations. What would you do about that? Uh, try to reposition the probably long-term pension in the U.S. Very good. <laughs> Okay, what else? Wow, what do you mean by that? Well, put a little more emphasis on the Ford brand of cars, not all the ancillary cars. Fantastic. Um, fantastic. <laughs> okay, what else? Overhaul your <laughs> That was a not part of the plan. Although, we, but we, that's what happened. Because <laughs> we're a real pain right now. Uh, wow. Maybe all around the world. Figure out what customers want. Really? <laughs> Overhaul your design process. Absolutely. And the production? Yep. Maybe do it together. <laughs> uh, what do you think the customers really want? Quality and safety. Focus on quality and safety. Customers want entertainment. Seamlessly connected to the internet. Hands on the wheel, eyes on the road. Bluetooth activated. Sync my Ford. Oh man, I found the next management team right here. <laughs> what else? Bigger 
Really? I mean, you can't compete on a global scale by operating regionally? That's really something. We have performance culture based on discipline. Whoa. Lower your reliance on incentives. Whoa. <laughs> China. I personally have this philosophy. If I if I think anybody's from China, I give them a hug. <laughs> we're going we're to talk about this a little bit, but the, the, the China market now, as you know, is bigger than the United States. It's just a fabulous opportunity. They love the Ford brand. We're expanding as fast as we can. Um, Drop mercury. <laughs> now, why would you do that? It's a tweener brand that says between Ford and Lincoln. Ooh, a tweener. Is that the new uh, business school expression? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a what, really, we'll, we'll talk about this some more. And again, this allows you to ask the questions that you want to ask, too, because all of these were uh, clearly part of the plan. Uh, what would you do about financing? More you debt. <laughs> you better not run out of money, right? So when you do a transformation like this, the most important thing is, one, you have a plan. But two, do you have the financing in place? Because if you run out of money during the, during the uh, transformation, it doesn't work out. Um, so get a home improvement loan. Got it? <laughs> OK, what else? Bring the European models back to the US, the 40 European Because they're so cool. Yeah. But you better have a cost structure here, so you can make them here, too. Um, Cut the <laughs> I did that on the first day. <laughs> Back to you gotta preserve cash. Oh, you gotta be laser focused. Okay. Um, this is fantastic. And this is what we did. And thanks for inviting me. <laughs> and I would propose to you that everything you said is about leadership. Because that's what your class is about today. Everything that you said is about leadership. Because every one of those is a courageous decision. It's going to come from having a, a point of view about the future and having your conviction that you're going to have a comprehensive plan to implement that compelling vision. Now, just one last question. What would you, use, what would you have used for um, your vision in this situation? Something, think of, uh, like, what would you have rallied everybody around? Because you clearly are where you are, but you're going to a different place. You've just described this different place. What would you? What would you do about that compelling vision? How would you describe what your new Ford's going to be like? Or do you think that's important? Back to your history, where it came from. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know whether I can wait till after this to meet you. <laughs> OK. That's absolutely incredible. And that's exactly what we did. And when you walk into that same office today, where I walked in four and a half years ago, the, the entire wall is filled up with Henry Ford's vision for the Ford Motor Company that he laid out on January 24th of 1925 in the Saturday Evening Post. And you can Google it and find it. It's like fantastic. And it says, opening the highways to all mankind. That's what Henry Ford was about. He wanted to make traveling on the highways affordable and available for all of us. 
And at the time, the only people that had a car were, were wealthy. And you couldn't afford a car. So he describes in this vision how it would have to be big in scale, big in scope, um, to get the economies of scale. It would have to be a complete family of vehicles. They have to be best in class in safety and efficiency. They have to contribute to making life more pleasant, more useful. Uh, it, everybody would have to participate. And, he, and at the time, January 24, 1925, he's at the top of his game. He has 56% market share worldwide. Every country around the world wants Henry to come and set up his operations. Um, he's wildly successful by any measure. And at the end of this advertisement for his vision, it says that it's not about what Ford has done up through 1925, but this is all about the opportunity to serve all the people around the world. Is that incredible? And so that's what we went back to. He, didn't, he wasn't talking about Jaguar and Aston Martin and Land Rover. He was talking about Ford. So we went to work, and we did all those things that you just said. We focused on the Ford brand. We decided to have a complete family of vehicles, small, medium, large, cars, utilities, and trucks in every region around the world. We also decided that they'd be best in class in quality and fuel efficiency, safety, really smart design like Sync and my Ford, and because of our scale and our intellectual capability around the world, absolutely the very best value. We also decided to match our production to the real demand, which is another thing you pointed out, because we were, we were facilitized for uh, a market share that was considerably higher from years back, and so we were unprofitable. We also invested and accelerated our investment in all these new vehicles during the worst of times. So even though we were losing $17 billion, we actually invested more during the worst of times so we'd be here to help everybody as part of the economic recovery. The financing, we took out a small home improvement loan. We took this, this plan to 500 banks. We presented it to them. We raised $23.5 billion. Bankers don't want your assets. They want you to be successful and they actually like you to pay the money back. Not quite as fast as we're paying it back now because they like to get some interest, more interest too. But, um, and then the last thing is we decided that we're going to work together as one team for around the world. No matter where we operate, we're going to operate as one team and use all that synergy. And that's why you see the new C1 platform for the Focus. So we're going to have 10 top hats off that new, uh, that new platform. And we're going to be making 2 million of them worldwide each year in five different locations. And 80% of the parts are exactly the same all customized to the unique tastes of the, of the consumers around the world. And you can imagine with, with that approach what we can do vis-a-vis -vis the competition. Okay, that's my report to the committee. <laughs> nice job. Okay, now, what are you thinking about? And maybe if just, uh, we got some microphones, although the, it's pretty good here too. And just maybe introduce yourself and let's, uh, let's move to a Q&A. So many neat things to talk about. about especially with economic development, energy independence and security and environmental sustainability. This will be fun. Okay. Let's go into the middle. Stand up when you get the mic. Oh dear. Let's just say row 18 and want to ask this question. Hi there. Uh, oops. Uh, Nico, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. How do you think about the sustainability of traffic going forward and how, what is Ford's or what is your vision to? to make transport more sustainable? Absolutely. This is a really uh, important question, and I'm really, I'm just so pleased that the position that Ford has taken going forward. We, part of our business is gonna be how do we have transportation solutions? And as you know, we have so many cities now that are moving into two, three, four, 10, 20 million people in, in cities. And uh, so we're gonna be part of that solution about using all modes of transportation. 
But when you look at the specifics of your question, I think the technology roadmap we see going forward, which is what we're uh, investing in, is there's a lot of room to improve the internal combustion engine, uh, both petrol and diesel. And that's why you see things like turbocharging, direct fuel injection, lightweight materials, integrated electronics, lots of opportunity to improve. The new Explorer, 30% improvement in fuel mileage. You get all the capability if you need to carry seven passengers. Uh, then I, I, we see more biofuels, ethanol, cellulosic going forward, alternative uh, biofuels. I think we'll then see uh, more electrification, always be a component of natural gas, especially for the bigger vehicles and where you have the infrastructure for the natural gas. Then you'll see more electrification, more hybrids, you're going to see plug-in hybrids, and then you'll see more all-electric. But the real issue there is the infrastructure and the cost of the batteries. Because today, you have an all-electric vehicle and the battery alone costs $15,000 and they weigh 700 pounds. So it's nice that you, you and the battery can ride along in the car, but not, not anybody else. Um, but, but we're working on that really hard, we're, and we're making a lot of progress on it. But it's that part on the technology, but also the infrastructure. But I think uh, electrification will see more and more. And then we haven't, we're still very, uh, very positive about hydrogen. But the issue there, as you know, is that when you have to have the infrastructure again, so it's a public-private partnership between the governments and business all around the world on how you want to proceed. But also, you need really efficient fuel cells that are cost-effective, which we don't have today. And you still need the very efficient battery, because you're going to take hydrogen, mix it with platinum, out comes uh, water out the tailpipe, and electricity goes over to the, the new capable battery. So kind of those same enabling technology box are needed for all of them. But it's kind of that progression that we see going forward. And I think the biggest thing is that we, we, the citizens of the world, are going to play a very important part in making this decision about where we go. What do we want to do about energy independence and security, right? What, do we want to do, what are we going to do about generating our electricity clean? Because we can't just be working on using it clean, but we need to generate it clean. And then where do we want to go with energy policy uh, going forward? On the, uh, the sustainability, kind of another neat thing, 80% of all the Ford vehicle components are we recycle. So we have very quietly moved to a place where you really do want to use the minimum amount of resources, the minimum amount of time. Yes, sir. Uh, hi, my name's Alex. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad to be uh, here. I'm actually a joint MBA and master's in public policy student. Very good. And I, I see Ford as basically a great example, almost symbolizing this country coming out of our recession here. Um, on the one hand, a remarkable turnaround story 6.6 .6 billion in profit last year. Sales are up. Uh, keep, the company, please keep going. <laughs> the company's looking great for the future. Uh, on the other hand, um, there's still very high uh, unemployment, and employment for Ford has you know has made some tough decisions, which are absolutely necessary. Yep. Um, and the country, in some ways, has corporate profitability its highest level ever last year, but other parts of the economy that aren't doing as well. And I'm wondering, yes. where do we go from here? Do we need to accept that U.S. manufacturing is going to look different in the future? And, and how do the leading companies, how should they think about operating in this, comp in this uh, country and also wow. internationally? Absolutely. Uh, th first of all, thank you uh, for your comments. Um, as uh, the dean pointed out, um, it's just this is so important uh, for manufacturing. It's so important for the U.S. is so important for every country in which we operate around the world because we are a key part of the solution for economic growth, right, but also energy independence and security and also environmental sustainability. I, I think I mentioned uh, during our, our conversation with the dean uh, earlier that when I, first, uh, when I first arrived at Ford and I was, started uh, 
working on the public-private partnerships and going back to Washington, D.C., I felt like I was running drugs or guns, you know, if you're from the auto industry, because they'd, they'd stood so tall for trying to help under, people understand what the cost benefits were for both fuel efficiency and safety, because we were putting a lot of cost in the materials and taking them out of reach of, of people being able to own them. And I'm so pleased with your comment, that where you, how you started out, because we are now uh, viewed as uh, a major uh, portion of the solution going forward to all those big issues. And going back to the issues that you raised, and we, and we have to talk about it, we have serious problems. Now, you take our trade deficit, and you take our uh, budget deficit, and this is not sustainable. I mean, we all have been living way beyond our means for a lot of years, and we have structural problems that we absolutely need to address. And um, it was mentioned that I'm on the President's Export Council, and also we have a manufacturing uh, subcommittee of that. And I'm just um, so pleased that we have now moved the discussion over to what are we really going to do about the intersection now of economic development, energy dependence, and, and environmental sustainability. Because we have to do this in a public-private partnership, and we're the ones who are going to have to vote. We can't this is, you can't delegate this to somebody else. These are issues that we need to decide where we want to take the, the U.S., and where do we want to take our countries all around the world, and how do we do that working, working together? So um, do we have a long way to go? Yes. Is now the time to, to really move those up on the agenda? Absolutely. I think there's no reason why, back to your question about the United States, why we can't compete with the best in the world just like we're doing with manufacturing. And I think it's true for every country around the world. As all the countries move up uh, Maslow's hierarchy and, and create uh, these great jobs and, and great industries, it's going to be so globalized that, that operating everywhere helps everybody. And it's not like a have or have not or a zero sum game. We have to move the economic development up for everybody, right? So I, I, I think that the most important thing is you got, we each got to be competitive, and the data sets you free, right? You, you're, you're all business people, and the data sets you absolutely free. What does profitable growth look like? There's only two things you have to do, right? Create products that people really do want and value and will actually pay for and do it more productively than your competition. That means you use less resources and less time. Isn't that neat? <laughs> it's taken you two years to get this degree. <laughs> I think I've contributed to helping you get through this. But always go, go back to that. What, what are we here? What's our brand? What do we stand for? And do we have a profitable growth plan? Because if you're not profitably growing, what are you doing? You're not. You're going out of business. Yes, sir. Um, so I've never had a question asker so close. <laughs> are you okay? I, I'm feeling fine. Okay, How are good, you? Yeah, very good. Okay. So uh, I want to know what you think about the, uh, the Google car, and is it real, and what, what's the impact of that? Do you know all about the Google car? It's one of the dreams of the founders to have an autonomous car. I really like uh, driving. Uh, <laughs> now, I say this with with all due respect, because as an airplane person too, um, you know, we've gotten to the place now where most of our airplanes, uh, they can take off by themselves, they can land by themselves, but we always have pilots there. And as an engineer, um, you just can't anticipate everything. There's not another, there's no, nothing like the human being for being able to handle multiple things and analyze things and then deal with it. And with all of our engineering uh, skills, you just can't anticipate every situation that sophisticated vehicles can get themselves into. And uh, so I think that you, there might be specific uses of it, but it'll be very controlled. And there's no reason technically you can't do it. Um, 
but you can imagine all the different issues that go along with a system solution. So um, from Ford, uh, we're going to always have you in charge, and you're going to be the driver, and you're going to be a better driver because of sync in my Ford, because you're going to be able to use access all your your information, your navigation, your guidance control. Your hands are going to be on the wheel. You're going to use a five-position consumer electronics controller, and uh, uh, you're going to be voice activated, so you can do everything with your voice. You're going to keep your eyes on, and you're going to be seamlessly connected to our digital world. You. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Is one of we? Yes. I got a mic. Okay. Um, <laughs> you win. Yeah. Um, I, I'm Clay Calhoun. I'm a, a second year uh, student here. Uh, first, good. I wanted to say I love my Ford Edge. It's the best car I've ever owned. Uh, uh, and second, I, I worked a little with uh, GM during their restructuring. And um, even more than kind of their balance sheet, what I thought was the main problem was the institutional culture at the company, which was, you know, management versus labor instead of working together, um, you kind of the sense of entitlement among everyone there. Um, and from what I understand, when you got to Ford, things weren't all that different. Um, can you talk about, maybe tell some stories as to what oh, culture yeah. was like then and what you did to change the culture um, and you know, kind of how you initiate cultural change uh, from the top down? Absolutely. Um, wow. Uh, I was thinking that one of the things that Bill, Ford, that Bill Ford was asked one time about the culture, and I think he used the word the Kremlin comes to mind um, from a you know, past uh, history. And, and you can imagine what it was like at Ford when everybody was regionalized. There are no skill teams like engineer and manufacturing that went across the company, so there's no way to work together. And, uh, and everybody's scared. I mean, uh, it's not going very well. We're losing money. There's not that compelling vision of where we're going. Uh, there are not actions in place to get us there. So, and and uh, we're having problems with the vehicles. And so, it was pretty. It was a pretty tough environment. Um, although I'd say that Ford has always attracted the best and the brightest uh, through the years from around the world. I mean, you remember the Whiz Kids stories, and it's just it's just this fabulous company with a 107 year history of of innovation throughout the years. And so. Uh, Talented people, motivated people, but we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a vision. We didn't have a comprehensive strategy, and, and we weren't uh, implementing it. So it was pretty scary, and everybody's kind of looking out for themselves, and a lot of people were leaving. And so um, the only thing I know to do is, just like in my days at Boeing, was, was you got to pull everybody together. You need a compelling vision about where we're going, so we all understand where we're going, so that then all the actions are explainable. Everybody has to be on the team. So I, I am, every skill team I invited, so engineering, manufacturing, legal, communications, every skill team was now on the team, on the leadership team, all reporting to me. Um, and, uh, and all the business unit leaders from around the world, Asia Pacific, Americas, all there. And it, then we started what we do, what I've always done with big airplane programs is I just have a weekly meeting where we review everything associated with the plan, everything. So we meet at 7 o'clock in the morning because we're trying to honor time changes to Shanghai and, and Australia and everywhere else. And so we've got the clocks all up on the wall. We're all interneted, connected on the internet. We have uh, uh, screens that we're around the round table. Where we're seeing all the leaders wherever they are around the world. One set of charts, uh, 320 charts. Um, all of the plan, whether it's income statement, balance sheet, launches of new vehicles, that's all blue bars. There's a forecast, a red diamond, which is 
that, that leader's assessment of how it's going. Then that there's a, the risk and opportunities that, that all the risks have been identified, the opportunities have been monetized. And so we're looking also five years out. So when we complete the performance like the 6.6, .6, or you could also say an operating profit 8.3, I just might toss that in, um, <laughs> that everybody knows what the plan is, everybody knows what the status of the plan is, and everybody knows the areas that need special attention. You do it together, the mean goes from 7 to um, about t uh, 7 to 9.30. And then we have, we have guests there from around the world, from the engineering, manufacturing, all, all watching, and we, ha we meet them, and we get their feedback at the end. So you can imagine how, how transparent and, and close you get. Now, when I f we first started this, remember I told you that, that within a couple of days, uh, the forecast was we were going to lose $17 billion. So I started the business plan review. The charts are flowing, 320 charts. We even have them color-coded, red, yellow, green. Any change on the chart is in blue. So there's lots that doesn't change. All you're looking for is what has changed. You don't want to hear a long explanation about what, what's going on. What you want is that everybody knows the plan. Everybody knows the areas need special attention. So the color, it got the, it got the charts going. And I, it's, it's about three or four weeks. The data's flowing. And all the charts are green. And I, I stopped them and I said, you guys, we're going to lose $17 billion. Is there anything that's not going well here? <laughs> Eye contact goes to the floor. Nobody says anything. Now, remember that culture you asked about. It wasn't OK to bring things up. I mean, it was command and control. You know, people disappeared. Um, <laughs> so I think uh, another week went by, and they were green. And, and of course, they've got me. They've got this new leader. What, what's this leader going to do? And so the next uh, two weeks later, um, Mark Fields, who's the, the leader of all the America's business, Canada, uh, the United States and South America, had an edge launch in Oakville, Canada. And they had an actuator issue on the tailgate. So he stopped production, because we're going to be best in class. We're not going to deliver one vehicle unless it's done, and, it, and, it's, and it's the best in quality. So he had like two or 3,000 edges you know, sitting out on the tundra. Thank God it was cold, so they weren't sinking in. Because when you stop production, I mean, I mean uh, it's a big deal. Uh, and so up comes his chart for the launch of this new edge. And it's bright red. And I mean, you, it got so quiet. I, I, you know what they're all thinking. It's over. Mark's gone. <laughs> gone. <laughs> He's out of here. And then what's this new guy going to do? So I started to clap. <laughs> now they knew that was a sign. The door was going to open. Somebody's going to come in. Mark's out of here. <laughs> well, I, could just, I could just feel it. I mean, it just. And, and I said, Mark, is there anything that we can do to help you with that? And before Mark could say one word, Benny Fowler, who is the head of quality now worldwide, said, Mark, I think I've seen that issue on a launch that we did six months ago. Because, you know, in the car business, you have so much product coming out. I mean, it's so, so exciting. Um, and then Joe Hendricks, at the time, he's the leader of all Asia Pacific now, was the head of a manufacturer. And he said, you're going to need some manufacturing engineers, because as soon as you find that problem and fix it, you're going to have to change all those vehicles and get the production going again. I'll have, those, have, I'll have the, our dynamite talent up in Canada immediately. And then uh, Derek Kuzak, who leads product development worldwide, uh, says, Mark, I've seen that technical issue on such and such five years ago or something. I'll get right on that. That exchange took 12 seconds. 
12 seconds. We went on to the next chart. Of course, it was green. <laughs> one of the next chart, it's green. Um, the next week, I think it was still red, Mark's chart. Everything else was green. Next week, I think he changed it to yellow because they found a solution and now they're implementing it. I think the next week it turned to green. And boom, all the vehicles started going. And then probably the, one of the most exciting days of my life, both from a, oh shit. I mean, uh, this is a terrible situation. <laughs> sorry, so sorry. Uh, to, uh, my gosh, we're gonna make it, was the following week. And guess what the charts look like? They look like a rainbow. <laughs> like a rainbow. And I'm, I'm going, oh my goodness. I, now the data says right here why we're losing $17 billion. Because the data sets you free, right? Data tells you everything. But also now it was safe enough that you could share how it was. You weren't red. The issue you're working on is red. As a matter of fact, the expectation is that everybody really does know what the situation is because you can't manage a secret. People can't help if you don't know what the real situation is. And it's safe and you're not going to get uh, killed. Now, you can imagine the accountability around the table. Are you going to be red on an item and then you're going to go through the week and come back and say to all your colleagues, I was really busy last week. I didn't have a chance to work on that. I mean, the pressure in a positive way is like fantastic because everybody there is trying to figure out how to help go forward. So on that one day, it was probably, I was at, it was probably like, oh my gosh, this is really in bad shape. But we all knew that. On the other hand, I knew at that moment that we were going to be able to turn Ford around. So that's my, okay, can I tell you one more? <laughs> um, okay, so here's another one. And this thing about vision and and everybody understanding. So I want to tell you about the first time I drove in the garage of the world headquarters of the Ford Motor Company. How are we doing on time? Are we okay? 50 minutes? Okay. Um, so I left Boeing, and I'm coming to Ford. 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 I drive into the garage of the world headquarters of the Ford Motor Company. And I drive in, and there's not one Ford vehicle in the garage. <laughs> I know. I know. And I just left Boeing to come to Ford, and there are all these Aston Martins and Jaguars, and, and I, I, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what all the people in this building are working on. I don't think it's Ford. And, it was, and Ford was 85% of the business. But Ford was kind of, and then I remember walking up and then walking in that office like I shared with you, and I knew, I knew we, right away what we had to do. And you can imagine when the culture change, can you imagine being, with all those different brands, we had 97 different models that we were trying to be world-class at. So let's go work on the new Jaguar from 8 o'clock to 810. Then we'll work on the new Edge from 810 to 820. Can you imagine doing that for 97 different things? Business. The days where people will pay you to manage a conglomerate are over. Information is ubiquitous. People want to know exactly what that brand stands for and what to expect when they walk in that Ford store, right? And now they know it's Ford, full family, small, medium, and large, cars, utility trucks, best in class, and quality, fuel efficient, safety. And you've got to have a laser focus on that brand so all the suppliers know what the plan is, all of your whatever customers know what the plan is. 
So I think what that did to, to almost unleash all the talent inside Ford, because now everybody knew what we were coming to work for. They knew what we were going to do. And then that just created this. You add that with the business plan review process and the creating value roadmap, where you actually have to create value every year. Because it's a, it's a discounted cash flow, right? It's a wonderful thing, discounted cash flow. Right? All you do is fill the arrows in. The arrows up and the arrows down. And if you're in business, good businesses grow a discounted cash flow, whether it's cash or profits, by 15% a year, right? And most good companies grow the top line by 7% a year by making products people want in value. And then they also improve their productivity by 7%. And what's 1.07 times 1.07? 1.15. That's how you grow 15% a year. That's what good companies do. So it's just, it's just absolutely unleashed all the talent around the world by, by focusing the vision, what we are, having a comprehensive strategy, and then that relentless implementation part by working together. Make sense? Yes, sir. You're okay. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest mistake you've made uh, since joining the board? Um, what have you learned from it, and what would you have done differently? Wow. Um, is there another question? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know about the mistake word. Um, I've thought, I, every time I get you, you're reflecting about this all the time, what more could you have done, when, or actions you could have taken? And it, it was, um, and there's not anything that I would not do. Uh, and I think part of the reason is we're in a crisis, right? And so you have to, you have to pull together, you have to decide what you're gonna do together, and then you gotta move decisively. And uh, I don't know how we could have moved any faster. Uh, I'm so pleased about how we pulled together. I'll tell you another thing. I wondered, really wondered whether I was doing the right thing by going back and testifying on behalf of GM and Chrysler. I mean, I'm a market person. I really believe the market should allocate precious resources, not governments. The market, we should do it with our purchase decision, right? We're the ones that decide the products are, are successful or companies are going to be successful. And so to go back and testify on behalf of my bankrupt competitors? I mean, it's a, it's a serious question, right? They were, they were gone. They should have been gone. The market should let it go. But I also, at the same time, uh, believed like two administrations and all their economic advisors that if we would have taken 12 to 15% of the US GDP into bankruptcy in the United States, we would have taken the United States from a recession into a depression. So that's why I decided to do it. And if you like to know how to go to a hearing, the most important thing is to fly on your corporate jet. <laughs> <laughs> Works really well. I kept reminding them I was not there to ask for our precious taxpayer money. I was there supporting my, my competitor for the good of the, of the world. And the other thing is, is to have very thoughtful answers to their questions. That's another thing. Do you remember when we were, we were all sitting there and they were going down asking uh, Chrysler, would you, the leader, would you work for a dollar a year if we give you our money, taxpayer money? Yes, please, thank you. Would you work for a dollar a year? Yes, and please. And then they turned around to me and said, well, Mr. Wally, would you work for a dollar a year? I, I just couldn't think of what to say. And I, said, I kind of rubbed my chin thoughtfully and I said, no, I think I'm okay where I am. 
just, just got killed for that. <laughs> then I reminded them that I wasn't there to, to ask him for the money, but they kind of forgot about that. Whatever. <laughs> the other thing is, is uh, they, you know, you're sitting there and they give you little bottles of water, and the most important thing is just to sip it, because you can't get up and leave. <laughs> and we're there sometimes like 12 hours. And so that's another important thing is go really easy on the water. Because <laughs> the whole world's watching you. Uh, now, on a, on a really serious note, I think about this all the time. Um, a lot of people ask me, because this is, you know, it's democracy and it's the way it works. And weren't you offended at the way you, you were treated? Um, and because, you know, they were pretty aggressive questions. It was a serious situation. The United States was slowing down economically. Um, here you had a significant portion of the GDP was at risk. And it was going to get worse. And uh, Hank Paulson, who was Secretary of the Treasury, was sitting in the same chair that I was in the day before, trying to explain where the $700 billion went. Um, and everybody's scared. And they're anxious. And they're asking questions that need to be asked. And so I never took it. I never took it personally. And I also believe the only way to, to deal with, the, with big things like this is you've got to do it together. You've got to make it OK, just like we were talking about, to have the conversation. So I never, I don't have any remorse for that. And I, I wouldn't have done that differently. I think everything on the product is good. Um, so I don't think of it so much of mistakes as that uh, I think that just pulling together around this compelling plan and moving decisively, that we, that we did it at the right time and, and doing it fast. And it doesn't get any better. You know, most people tell you that they wish they would have done something sooner, not waited. But I think maybe because we were in such a terrible crisis, we had to move. And, uh, and I'm in awe that, that uh, we moved so fast. And, and we're now making the best cars and trucks in the world that people really do want. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Marcus, and thank you for your time today. Uh, my question's about vision. Um, so you talked a little about Ford's globalization. Yep. Um, and a lot of your competitors have opened up plants in the United States. So my question is, what does it mean to be an American car manufacturer? Wow. Uh, it kind of goes back to the question earlier. Um, and I, I only can kind of speak from, from a, a, a multinational large corporation operates around the world, both, both Boeing and with Ford. And it really um, is about being a global company. And you can have your headquarters somewhere, and you know the taxes and the way you repatriate money. Uh, exchange rates and everything, but I really believe that the companies that are going to serve and provide what people really do want and do it most effectively are going to be the one that leverage their assets worldwide. And, um, you know, some brands are, there's always that conversation about is an is American, in fact, is an American brand, is that healthy or not? Uh, the neat thing about Ford, again, is that uh, when Henry set it up, everybody around the world thinks of their Ford operation as Ford. You know, Ford is number one, number two in all the markets in Europe. And, it, and Ford of uh, uh, Britain is considered to be a, a British company. And so we're very fortunate. And that's very different than, like you said, the companies that have the, the, uh, uh, say the Asian companies have, set, have uh, come into the United States. Because the only reason they did that was that uh, they were taking all the wealth back home. So there's a lot of encouragement for them to operate here, too. Um, but I love that Ford is in this place. And I think that what we've really done is accelerate Henry's original vision actually accelerate it by operating everywhere around the world. And it's so neat to be part of the fabric. Plus, you know all the customers. You know everything that's going on. 
and you're, you're not only providing great cars and trucks, but also great jobs and careers. So I, I think the big companies that, that uh, have the scale and that's part of competing are going to operate like global companies. Guy with the mic. <laughs> uh, uh, my name is Guy with the mic. Uh, <laughs> I'm Chen, first year. Alan, great to have you here. My question is about... I'm Chinese too, so you owe me a hug. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, my question is actually about jobs. Um, so Ding Solomon pointed out you cut 40% of the, the workforce at Ford. And, we, and you know, I think it's understandable given the overcapacity in the auto industry right. in general. But you know, I think so much about the, the debate about economic growth right now is about bringing jobs back. Absolutely. So are those jobs coming back? Absolutely. And do you see the auto industry's role in bringing the jobs back? Absolutely. And we just announced, well, can I back up just a little bit to your, to your uh, start of your question because it's really important. Um, this is about business. And this is about profitably growing. And you've got to do whatever it takes. Because if, just like the situation we described, you couldn't go very many years losing $17 billion, and then you're gone, right? So you have to size yourself to the real demand, no matter what. And remember, in the automobile industry, because all their costs they thought were fixed, then they'd keep their production up, over-deliver uh, all these vehicles, just to get the last incremental dollar, because they couldn't, didn't think they could do anything about their costs. So what we did is we went to the, uh, to the unions and uh, we talked about a future where we could actually make cars in the United States, but we had to have our cost structure right. And we had to size ourselves in the near term to the lower demand. Well, we agreed because you, you, we came together around this vision of a profitably growing and actually hiring, hiring and providing great jobs. But you've got to take the tough action to get yourself started so you can keep investing during the toughest of times. So, um, and it's hard. I mean, it's, you, don't, you don't anyway want to go through that. That's why you, this economic development worldwide is so important. Now, having said that, uh, we sized ourselves to the real demand. We took out all the extra production, both as somebody mentioned earlier, also with our distribution channel and with Ford and with our suppliers. And so now we're operating profitably at the lower demand and, and we invested for these new products. So now we just announced that over the next two years we're gonna hire 7,000 uh, new employees. And just give you one example, we're making the new Explorer in Chicago. That's the one that's 30% more efficient than the last one. And we'll be uh, exporting that vehicle to 94 countries around the world. And in that plan alone, we'll be adding 1,200 jobs and another 600 jobs with 100 suppliers throughout the United States. And all of our suppliers now are all global. Because when you operate this way, you use your scale globally, but then you operate locally. So you get the best of both. Uh, both worlds. So, uh, and our plan is to fundamentally now to grow the business year after year uh, forever because that's, that's the purpose of, of business. So we're really excited about how everybody pulled together to get to this place and now it's really exciting now to grow and provide all these great opportunities. In Asia Pacific, we're growing as, as we're one of the fastest growing companies in Asia Pacific, providing tremendous opportunities. Great market in Europe, a little bit slower growth, a little bit more mature. Fabulous growth in Brazil, Russia and especially uh, India and China. Okay, uh, maybe one last question, because I hear that when it gets close, you get up and leave. Here, we got to. Yeah, we've got to come back Well, um, my name is Pragash. I was at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show at Las Were Vegas. Were you really? And I got to check out your, uh, your Ford Sync. What'd you think? And I love the voice-activated experience, but I was wondering, are you guys thinking about a app store much like how Apple came out with theirs for their uh, for their hardware. Right. Coming out for an app store for your hardware. We're we're not uh, right now, but uh, you saw the apps that we are managing now, and we also have all the app uh, producers. 
that are working on what makes sense for a car. The real thing we decided was, was to not get in that as a business like Apple did, but, but to focus on the automobile and the safe driving experience. So we're not making any money uh, on all of those apps ourselves. You know, we could have taken a, a piece of each of those like other business models that you know of. Because what we, what we wanted to do was to, have, was to make sure that everybody, when they bought a Ford, that they could seamlessly operate and yet uh, be connected to a digital world. So we're managing that interface that you saw with Sync and MyFord, and that's been our, our focus. Now, a lot of people have wanted us, uh, you know, when Pandora comes in or any, any other applications, they would a lot of would like us to do a business with them. But right now, we're focused on providing a better driving experience and a safer experience, but having all of us be ac have access to the internet for right now. Yes. <clears throat> Thanks again for joining us, and I appreciate getting to ask the last <clears throat> question. My name is Caroline Mullen. I'm a first year here, and I had the honor while I was at Deutsche Bank uh, before Stanford of working with the Ford Credit Team. Oh, very good. And um, I wanted to know what you thought um, their role was in the turnaround of Ford in 2009 and their active kind of intensive balance sheet management, and then what your objectives are for balance sheet management as you're positioning for growth, but also preparing for another potential crisis. Fantastic. Uh, it sounds like you had a great experience at the bank, too. They're, 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 they're one of our main bankers, too, and they're fantastic. What, uh, what she is referring to is what we call a Ford Motor Credit Corporation, and it's a captive finance company that we have, meaning that uh, we own it, um, and its cost of capital goes with the parent, with Ford as opposed to um, you know, an independent bank. This has been really important for Ford because as you go through these cycles, um, let's see, uh, your banker friends kind of come and go a little bit. Um, and I mean, because they're managing their life too. And, but, but the reason we have a, a Ford Credit Corporation is that during the worst of times or the best of times, then we can continue to help with the financing for the, all of our Ford store owners with all their, their inventory, all the vehicles. But we also have one-stop shopping. So when you walk into a Ford store, you can get your financing for the vehicle in addition to the vehicle. And remember when, when uh, we went through this crisis, GM, I mean, they're in such, uh, they were trying to work the cash so carefully that they actually sold GMAC, which they, was their captive finance company. So we really believe we've, we've done the right thing. It really helped us get through this. Um, uh, right now, uh, we have scaled back Ford Credit with the divestiture of all those other brands, but now they're really right size, and they're just an absolute key part of our business going forward. And uh, I'm just so pleased that we kept that as a priority to keep that captive finance company. And now on our balance sheet, now it gets, just gets better and better. You saw last year that uh, you know when you borrow $23.5 billion, you need to pay it back. And, um, and it's a wonderful thing to be paying back uh, our uh, uh, banks. And our goal, of course, uh, one goal is, is to move back to investment grade, because then our cost of capital comes down. That makes, uh, that allows us to invest more in the products, but also allows Ford Credit to be even more competitive on helping you with loans. So last year, we paid $14.5 billion back on our loans, which is fantastic. And uh, we'll probably uh, keep some debt, because you know, it's good to leverage uh, a little bit. But we're clearly moving back to investment grade uh, a lot faster than what, what everybody thought. And the most important thing is you're growing the business profitably, generating free cash flow, because it gives you great options not only on improving the balance sheet, but also on the products. Um, OK, I know you're going to get up and leave. And I, and I would take it personally if I wasn't done. So I'm going to be done. I, 
was honored to get a request to come here. I uh, grew up in Kansas. I grew up in Seattle with Boeing. Uh, we've had tremendous programs with Stanford uh, over the years. It's a fabulous school, as you know. You're getting uh, one of the finest educations, and you're also getting one of the best global educations. It is so important for where the world's going. And so uh, thank you for the invitation, and uh, congratulations uh, to you. I look forward to working with you. I would love you to consider maybe Ford uh, as you're considering going forward. And also, um, maybe you should drive a Ford and feel a difference. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.